a new friend named Craig Cody come and preach God's word for us today. Craig is a husband to Darcy and father to five kids, and he's a pastor at Christ Community Church in Urbana, where he has served for two years now. Before that, spent a little over a decade uh, planting churches in China. Uh, so it's a brother who has made sacrifices for the sake of the, the uh, ongoing progress of, of the gospel through the world. And um, we're just eager and grateful to have him serve us with the gifts God's given him, open God's word with us today. So would you please uh, welcome Craig Cody. Good morning, everybody. I'm thankful for the opportunity to... Morning. You see, that's what, that's what I'm used to. I have never... I have never... There's a lot of firsts today. I've never preached here. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be here. Um, I've never, I don't know that I've ever preached in the afternoon before, and I haven't ever done back-to-back services, so you guys are my guinea pigs. <laughs> the next service is going to be much better, I'm just going to tell you right now. <laughs> no, I'm thankful. I'm, I'm thankful to, um, to be up here in the suburbs. My wife, Darcy, and I, we lived up here for a while. I went to Wheaton College for a little bit. Um, before we headed overseas to China. That's part of um, the story that I want to share with you today. Part of what I want to talk to you about is um, our, our experiences in China, why we went to China, what led us to China, why would we do such a crazy thing. just want to say thank you. Maybe he's on the live stream, maybe he's not. Maybe he'll watch it later. But to Josh Fenska for, for having me come here. I'm, uh, I'm thankful to him. He, uh, it, like, do you guys say Fenska and Anderson? Is that how you guys watch Work around here. All right. So Anderson, he, uh, he he mentioned this is my second year, literally like the anniversary of when I started at Christ Community in Champaign-Urbana, and Josh Fenska has been a part of maintaining my sanity in my early my early days in that role. So um, and still to this day, man, it's been a tough year, huh? For all of us. The Lord has carried us through. I'm, I'm really convinced that the hymn that we're going to sing as we look back, maybe not immediately, but the testimony of the followers of Jesus, looking back over this last year, is going to be, Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. I think we're going to look back. We're going to see a faithful God to us. I'm confident of that. Um, Josh and I became, Finska and I, became fast friends at a conference not too long ago and have continued to communicate, so I'm thankful for the opportunity to talk to his people that he speaks very highly of. He loves you all very much. Um, all your elders do, and I hope that you love them too. I, they didn't tell me to say that, but they're, they are, um, they're a blessing to you. That's what the, the word says. So a um, little, little bit of background on me. I, I now serve uh, in Champaign-Urbana, which is also, of course, where the University of Illinois is. I did go to the University of Illinois for undergrad, grad, I don't know if there's any U of I grads in the house. Um, I am a big University of Illinois sports fan, which is good for basketball and bad for football. Um, but when I uh, went there, I had one goal in mind. When I was an undergrad, so I was 18 years old, I had one, one goal when I went to the University of Illinois, and it was to go into politics and to become the governor of the state of Illinois, which means I'd be in jail right now. Praise God. <laughs> God had other plans. <laughs> you know, God uses various means to get a hold of us, to change plans, to change the course of our lives. And you might think back in your own experience, 
things that God has used in your own life to change the course, or change your course, where you were headed, what you're going to do, maybe even who you were. And maybe you're in the midst of a time like that right now. Um, I certainly think that the suffering that the pandemic has caused and, and really the hardship of racial injustice that's been brought to light, brought to the surface, and really the overall tumult of the world in these, these last several months, um, they are going to have a ripple effect through eternity. God does use suffering, hardship, difficulty in the lives of his people. They're a means of God to dislodge us, I think, to kind of unhook us, unstrap us, set us free um, from old sins maybe. Or awaken us to new glories. Well, old glories, but in a new and fresh way. Um, in college, going back to my story, it was a combination of suffering um, brought on by the smashing of those political aspirations. Praise the Lord for that. Um, in prayer, for sure. But primarily, it was God's Word. Beginning to see glorious truths in God's Word. Um, and what I was what I was seeing one in those days, I'm talking 20 years old, 21, 22. Um, I began to see that from cover to cover, God's in, in the Bible, God's passion and plan is that His glory would go global. God's passion and plan is that His glory would go global. He's passionate about it. You could even say it's it's His heart, and it's His plan. It's his sovereign design, something that he is going to accomplish. And because of what God revealed about himself and his plans, the trajectory of my life changed from those political dreams to international missions. And I spent more than a decade in China planting churches among Muslims there. Um, I want to, what I want to do with you, though, is I want to walk with you briefly today um, through what I saw in the Word of God. I want you to see it for yourself. And I want to share with you why it matters to you in your life. Because a lot of what I'm talking about, when we start to talk about missions, or we start to talk about the world, or global glory, it can feel like, yo, Craig, I am, I'm, in, I'm here in Aurora, or wherever you are in the neighboring cities. I got a life, I got a job, I got school, I got whatever. But it does matter for you. I want to show you why it matters so much. So much. So we're going to, today, we're not going to hone in so much on one particular text. We're going to do a bit of an overview, kind of a 40,000 foot view, if you will, um, of a major theme in the Bible. Again, something very near to the heart of God. And what I like to call this is a BBT, a brief biblical theology. A biblical, biblical theology is just kind of tracing some of the themes that come through all of Scripture. It's kind of the arc of the Bible. One big sweeping theme through the Bible might be something like covenant or the promises of God. Another example would be uh, God's dwelling place. But today, what I want to talk to you about is um, mission, the world. Why I start off like this is because I want you to understand from the very get-go that missions is not a side project of the church. It is central to the identity of the church, central to the identity of what it means to be a follower of Jesus even. Because it's central to the heart of God. Missions starts with God himself. And that's where we're going to start today. I, just last week, I preached uh, Psalm 119, 
not the whole thing. It's 176 verses. We looked at Psalm 119, verses 89 through 96. So if you have a Bible, why don't you grab it? We're going to start there. Um, I just want to show you a couple quick things. Psalm 119, starting at verse 89. Psalm 119, starting at verse 89. I'm going to read verses 89 through 96. So just eight short verses. I'm going to highlight a couple quick things for you. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. Verse 91. For by your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me. For I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. So that's Psalm 119, verses 89 through 96. There's a lot we can say about this, but just want to make a quick note. You can see in this, he talks about nearly perishing in affliction, crying out, save me. He cries out to God, save me. Verse 94. Verse 95, he talks about getting ambushed. People are waiting to get him. This is, this is a guy who's fallen on tough times. His life is falling apart. But that's not the vibe. That's not the tone of this, this psalm. If we just read it. What's the tone? The tone is confidence. And not a cocky, self-centered confidence. It's a confidence in God. Spurgeon talked about this psalm. And he said it's like a man who's in a boat. And he's on the sea, and the sea's all choppy, the wind is blowing, the waves are rocking. He doesn't know whether he's going to live or die, and all of a sudden he sees a rock out there in the water, and he leaps from the boat onto the rock with all of his might, and he lands, boom, steady, sure, solid on the rock. And that storm keeps going, but he is fixed, fixed to that rock. What rock did the guy find beneath his feet? Look again at verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Verse 90. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. God's word is fixed, solid, immovable. And that's because the one who gave it is immovable, unshakable, or like it says in this passage, faithful. He's faithful. Just stepping back for just a quick second. It's worth saying again to you all, something that you probably already know, but you need to hear it again and again and again and again, and I do too, that despite everything that rages around us, God has remained faithful, steadfast, firm. He is immovable. He has not changed. He is not caught off guard by racism or upheaval, or political strife, or pandemics, or anything in your life right now, anything that's in your heart, anything that's in the world around you. Verse 91, all things are his servants. All things serve him. And I hope that as you hear that, that God is speaking to you by the power of his spirit, and that brings you a sense of reassurance and peace, because it's true. There's a lot more that I want to say about that, but we're not going to today. Because here's what I want you to recognize, and that's why we're starting here. This is just one example 
of how great God is. He is so immeasurably great and glorious. This is just one aspect. The fact that he, what we've just seen in Psalm 119, is fixed, immovable, steadfast, sturdy, strong, able to carry you through whatever storm it is that you are facing in life right now. He, will, he has in the past, he will in the future. That's why you can sing, great is that faithfulness. He is so great, he is so glorious, that in Psalm 145, the psalmist writes, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. That's using great in a whole lot of ways because you're losing words to describe how marvelous he is. This is the God who created all of the cosmos and who is so intimately acquainted with you. There's an actual weight to this glory, to this greatness. I heard a, I heard a pastor give this illustration recently. It was like, it's as if there's a scale that could do this. And on one side you put all of creation from the tiniest microbes to the most expansive galaxies on this side. You put in all angels, all demons. You put in everything and all of creation over here. And over here, you put God's glory. The stuff over here, all of creation, goes up like air compared to the glory of God. Nothing compares to how great he is. but we're just getting whispers of his power here on earth. That's what it says in Job. And of course, the most glorious example of all is the coming of this great God, this high and holy God in the flesh, Jesus, to us and living among us. He gave his life for us to bring us back to God. How is it that a God that is so holy, so awesome, that we sung about, worthy, 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 holy, 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 would come and take on flesh and live among us, lower himself to the lowest place to die on a cross for you and me. What glory that is. His glory is so satisfying, so exhilarating, so real, that we will spend all of eternity experiencing it, knowing it, singing it, of it, and marveling at it. Now, missions, this is, this is actually a missions talk. We're going we're gonna to roll that out right now. Missions starts there with the glory of God. God's glory is so great, it will not stay put. It is meant to be put on display. God's glory is meant to run to the whole world. God's design, and this is what I want to show you today, this brief biblical theology, has always been that his glory would go global. Sometimes in other groups, I I talk about this being the main event. You guys know in boxing that Mike lowers down from the ceiling, and there's a lot of boxing matches that go on beforehand, but then that guy gets the, the mic and he says, let's get ready to rumble. Are you ready for the main event? This is the main thing that's going to happen. You've been waiting. You've been watching these other boxing matches, but now the big boxing match, the two major contenders, the title fight, This is the main event. This is what God is doing in the world right now. He is taking his glory global. This has been his plan from the very beginning, and that's what I want to show you. If you want to track with me, you can. I'm going to start in Genesis 1, and I'm literally going to go to Revelation, and it's going to be fast, and it won't take more than maybe five minutes. 
So, <laughs> but you can just listen to me or you can follow along in your Bible. I'm going to start at Genesis 1:28. okay? So here we go, verse 28. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the, fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God created the heavens and the earth and the pinnacle of his creation was man and woman who were made in his image. And what did he have them do? He wanted them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth with what? Image bearers. Little mirrors of himself. Mirrors that reflected his glory to the world. That was his design. Now, you know how many of you know how the story goes. Adam and Eve, our first parents, fell. They sinned. God eventually judged the earth in the time of Noah. And then what? Genesis 9:1. God gives Noah and his sons the same command, fill the earth. And God blessed Noah and his sons and he said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth." Again, he's wanting those image bearers, those glory reflectors to go out into the world and shine forth his glory. But by Genesis 11, there are many nations, many distinct peoples, many of whom reject him as God and do not worship him. What then? What's going to happen? How will his image fill the earth? Well, Genesis 12. God establishes a missionary nation through this man, Abram, who eventually becomes Abraham, a nation that's going to be a light to the world. God gave Abraham this promise in Genesis 12. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Did you catch that? All the families of the earth will be blessed. Not just some of the families, not the families on the good side of the tracks. All the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Those blessings continue through Isaac and then through Jacob and then into Egypt and then back out of Egypt with the Exodus. And then in the wilderness, as they're wandering around from place to place, God gives his people his good law, and he tells them to follow because, and this is from Deuteronomy 4, if you keep my laws, this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. He still wants the nations to know about him. So then they take the promised land. Joshua leads Israel in. But the people there have already heard. This is from Joshua 2. Rahab said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all of the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you came out of Egypt. They're hearing about this great God. God comes and establishes the nation of Israel. Kings are anointed. And then 1 Kings 4 We find that Solomon's wisdom is given for a purpose, for this purpose, so that the men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. They are coming to hear about the wisdom of God. And at this point, though, we know the story, the nation of Israel starts to decline. They lose their missionary purpose to display God to a watching world. But God uses even the punishments that come, the exile, multiple times in Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. God uses his people to display his glory throughout the world, and then Jesus comes. Who, though he comes to the house of Israel, he goes out of his way to heal and proclaim the gospel to people who are not Jews. He dies 
for the sins of the whole world. And then after rising from the dead, he says this, Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. He leaves. Holy Spirit comes. God makes his people witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Those are concentric circles. It's like saying God has sent his Holy Spirit to you, Redeemer, to be his witnesses in Aurora and in DuPage and in Illinois and into the ends of the earth. God's glory going global. Apostle Paul says it like this. This is Romans 15. Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul says, I'm going to go to people, and I'm going to go to places that have never heard the name of Jesus. That's where the gospel must go, because God is a God of all nations. And we read it earlier. I love it. I love that we've already read it. This is the second time. The Bible closes with a picture of a future worship service in heaven, that Revelation 5 passage that we read earlier. And at the center of that worship service is Jesus, our Lord. And that song, I'm going to read it for you one more time, just Revelation 5, 9. They're singing this song to Jesus, and they say to him, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood... You ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Okay. This is what I want you to see. From beginning, from the very beginning to the very end of the Bible, God's plan is that the entire world, from every tribe, tongue, language, people, nation, that every person would know him, would know his glory, would see and savor his greatness and respond in worship. He is worthy. The window that we got in Revelation 5 is the reality toward which we are all hurtling. It will happen. The only question is whether or not you're involved. Are you going to be part of that? This is what God is doing. This is the main event. He is that glorious. He is worthy. Jesus is worthy. His blood did buy men from all these far-flung places. Will you be involved in that? So what, though? What does that have to do with you? Listen to John Stott. He says this. We must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. I'll read it again. We must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. This is about aligning your heart with the very heart of God. It's about being passionate about that which God is passionate about. So what about you? Are you a global Christian? Let's just be honest for a second, right? Um, Most of you are not going to go get on a plane and go to China anytime soon. Even if you wanted to, you're not going to go anytime soon. But if you did, to another place, another country, another culture, probably not going to happen. That's literally thousands of miles away, and it probably feels like a million miles away. What does this God's glory going global have to do with me? That's what I want to answer with you right now. First, I want you to consider the world today, the current world that we live in right now. 7.5 billion people 
Among those 7.5 billion people, 3 billion are considered unreached. What do I mean by unreached? I mean people who live in a place among people where they don't have a church in their town, where they don't know a Christian, and they don't have any access to the gospel or the Bible, especially the gospel or the Bible in their own language. They're not reached with the love of Christ. That's what I mean by unreached. And I just want to pause there for a second and let that sink in. These people do not know the gospel. And they will die in their sin. And go to an eternity apart from him. Three billion people. So that is the place of missions. We send people to tell them. And that is what gripped me. When I was in college, on my first missions trip, I went to China with an organization called Crew. And uh, we went to college campuses and we would sit down with students and try to share the gospel with them. To be perfectly honest, it was a not very fun experience. The sights and the smells and the cultural differences, I, it was not particularly appealing. I didn't really want to go back. But I had one of the most profoundly shaping experiences in my life. I was sharing the gospel with a student on a college campus. I remember right where we were sitting underneath this tree at the back of campus because in China we're not welcome as missionaries to share the gospel. And we were sitting there and I was talking to him about God and about creation, about sin. And then we got to Jesus. And he was like, Jesus? Who's that? I was like, oh, you, you know, Jesus, you know the cross, and, you know, Jesus, amen, you know, Jesus, Jesus. Everybody knows Jesus. I have no idea who that is. He had never heard of Jesus before. Do you know (laughs) the privilege of being able to announce, to be able to tell this man about my Savior? What a privilege. Let me give you another example of unreached, what it's like in the world. If you came and visited my family and I in China, you would, in order to do that, you'd have to go out to O'Hare, you'd get on a plane, you'd fly from Chicago to Beijing. It's a 14-hour flight. Then you'd change planes, you'd get on another three-hour flight to the city where we lived. You'd get off, you'd hop in my car, my old rickety SUV, we'd drive, let you get over jet lag, and then what I would do, for sure, is I'd take you outside of town, and we would drive through the countryside. Now, countryside in the city where we live um, was desert, but not desert with sand, desert with dust. Not fun. Not, not, not easy to clean. You go in, it, looks, it looks a bit like Mars, to be honest. We'd be driving outside of the city, and as we would go outside the city, um, after about an hour or so, you'd start to see little towers sticking up along the horizon. A tower there, a tower there, a tower there. Little cylinders, maybe three or four stories high. Every tower is a mosque. A mosque, a mosque, a mosque. And every tower represents probably around 10,000 people. And in each area, each one is a little village where there is no church, there is no Christian, there is no gospel. 
None of them have heard it. All across the horizon. There are villages and cities like that all over the world. They're lost in their sin, these people. I have friends who are there still. And they, those people that are in those villages yearn for the same things that you do. Love, money, success, happiness. And like us, they seek it in the wrong places apart from Christ. Who's going to tell them? Who's going to tell them about the glorious God that sent his son for their sakes? Paul's ambition was to go to places like that. And that became my ambition. And it still is in a lot of ways. And if that's the state of things, if that's what's happening, then what should, should we do? What should you do? What should Redeemer do? What are you supposed to do about things like that? I'm going to give you five, five ways that you can be involved. Five ways. I'm going to give them to you up front. And we're just going to roll through them pretty quick. Support, send, go, pray, and welcome. Support, send, go, pray, welcome. Those are the five. Support. And this may seem obvious. I bet you already do it as a church. Financially supporting the work of missionaries is critical to getting the work out to those far-flung places. And you know what also supporting, giving does? It puts your heart in the work. Jesus says that, said that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And that's true. Giving money, not just, a, not just a token, but actually sacrificially, that puts your heart in the work. Um, Hudson Taylor was a pioneer missionary to China in the 1800s. He was instrumental in getting the gospel to enter China. George Mueller uh, was a man used by God to open orphanages throughout England, helping hundreds of thousands of orphan children. Both these men loved God, and both of these men depended on God to supply their needs, and neither of them lacked funding. They have, both of their biographies I highly commend to you, Hudson Taylor, George Mueller. One of the interesting things, though, is that they also had a very, very close relationship. They knew each other well, and they wrote letters back and forth to each other. And one letter from George Mueller to Hudson Taylor illustrates the way that the heart becomes part, uh, bound up in the work through the giving. And that's what I want to I want to read to you. George Mueller sent a large donation. Now remember, this guy got all of his money given given to him by other people. But even in the money that he was given, he's giving it away to the Lord's work. He enclosed a large donation to Hudson Taylor's work in China, and then he said this: "My chief object is to tell you that I love you in the Lord, that I feel deeply interested about the Lord's work in China." And that I pray daily for you. I thought it might be a little encouragement to hear of one more who felt for you and who remembered you before the Lord. He gave the money, but it was really his heart that came with it. Finances, of course, aren't the only way to support. You can send them care packages. That was always a happy day in the Cody home when we get those care packages sent to us. Um, You can set up periodic communications, but support missionaries. Support missions. By supporting missionaries. That's the first one, support. Here's the second one, send. It's an important part of what you do as a church, and I'm sure you guys already do it. Actually, I'm, I, I know that you do. Throughout Acts, we see churches sending out missionaries. I know that you guys have sent out church planters, and you probably have more on the way. Um, 
But what about uh, sending missionaries to the nations? You guys might be doing that. You might be involved in that in different ways. What about partnerships with existing missionaries? What about adopting? A lot of churches I've seen do this, and maybe you already do do this. Adopting a particular people group. Praying for them. Raising money to send missionaries toward them. Praying that the Lord would raise up workers to reach that particular field from within your church. Here's another uh, quick suggestion, just a practical one. Sign up for the Perspectives course. If you don't know what that is, you can Google it, the Perspectives course. It's the Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. It's kind of a, it's a multi-week course on missions that, makes, that, that has been very helpful uh, to me personally and to many others, many other churches as well. Here's the th- as well. Here's the third one. Go. I'm praying that even through today, even through this, that the Lord, through his word, would see fit to raise up people like Paul. We're not all supposed to be like that. We're not all supposed to go necessarily. But people who would make it their ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not already named. I just want to tell you, um, just want to give you a little, cast a little vision for what that might look like for you. Um, How you might be involved. It might even be just a very small step, but a step of faith nonetheless. I have a really good friend back in China. His name's Henry. Henry comes from a completely unreached people group. He's 130,000 people, Muslim, their own language, their own culture, their own history. There is no Bible in their language. There is no, there is no gospel witness to them. Henry came to college at one of the bigger cities in China, and there was a short-term team, just a short-term team from the United States that went to, went to that college at the same time, shared, one of them met Henry, shared the gospel with him over the course of the summer, and Henry trusted Christ, the very first believer from his people group. Henry was discipled. Henry was, he was maturing in the Lord. And now Henry, as we sit here today, is outside of China, translating the Bible into his people's language, writing worship music for his people in their language so that one day he could proclaim and teach and sing of the glories of Christ among his people. That was just somebody, some normal American person, couldn't speak Chinese, just came overseas for a couple weeks. God had a plan, made their paths intersect, and now God is using that to open up an entire people group to the glories of Christ doesn't have to be something big. It could be even something small. Here's the fourth. Pray. Prayer has a double edge. I, I, I love that you guys are praying, church. I, I love being a part of just what Josh led in praying just a second ago. Jesus told us to pray. That this is the double edge of prayer. Jesus told us to pray and ask for the Lord to send harvesters out into the harvest fields. That's one side of the sword. Do you pray for that? Do you pray that the Lord of the harvest would raise up harvesters, people from here, from among you, to go and tell people who have never heard of Jesus before? You know, God is sovereign, and by his sovereign design, he has chosen to work through the prayers of his people. He responds to your prayers for people to go to the nations. Here's the other side of the sword. He also responds to your prayers by giving strength and power to the proclamation of those missionaries overseas. 
So not only praying that the Lord would raise up missionaries to the field, but also that he would give strength to the missionaries that are there. William Carey was a pioneer missionary to India, and he told his church this before he left. I will go down into the pit if you will hold the ropes. Do you hold the ropes for missionaries overseas right now? How do you hold the ropes? How can you grow in holding the ropes for missionaries? And of course, what I mean by the ropes, and what William Carey meant too, was in prayer. Will you hold the ropes? And then the last one, welcome. This is the missionary mode I'm in right now, right? I moved back from China in 2016, and I, we, as a family, we specifically moved to Champaign-Urbana because of the university. University of Illinois has a massive number of international students. It's actually number six overall in the country in total number of international students. And schools one through five are all major metro areas, like schools that are in New York City or in L.A. University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign is probably the most uniquely situated, most strategic university to reach internationals in the world. One of. One of. It's a small city. All easily accessible. All those internationals are easily acceptable, uh, accessible. Um, and so we welcome them, we serve them, we love them in a variety of ways. We have them in our home. We share the gospel. One of the primary ways we've done this is we've, we've planted a little house church. This is before I took over my role now as the pastor at Christ Community. We planted a little house church. That house church is still meeting. We actually baptized three Chinese believers this year in the middle of the pandemic from, in that house church. But what I, what I want to tell you about is a guy named Sam. This is just an example of what it looks like to welcome people. This is something that you all can do. I know, I know DuPage County. I know this area well enough to know that it's a diverse place. Sam came from Iran. He came to International Church, and he was curious about the things of God. Um, and he continued to come until he left uh, to take a job in Denver. On the night that he was leaving, he came up to me, and he looked in my eyes, and he said, Craig, thank you so much. I just want you to know, your home, you're just coming over to my house to eat, eat dinners and we just kind of open the Bible, we pray, we'd sing with the, other, with the other people. Your home is a holy place. I assure you, with five kids, my home is not a holy place. But what he meant was that he had encountered the living God there. And that can happen in any one of your homes. Sam left, he went to Denver, we got him connected with, an, with another believer there. He kept studying the Bible. He kept learning more about Jesus. And then I got this text. It came from the friend that we connected Sam with. I wanted to let you know some amazing news. Sam, remember he's a Muslim. Sam came over yesterday for our weekly Bible study. From the moment he walked in, he was glowing and very happy. After catching up a bit, he shared, Last Sunday was the best day of my entire life. I put my faith in Jesus. A bit more of a background. He went to a wedding in California two weeks ago. As much as he loved his time there, he was growing jealous and more depressed because he has longed for marriage. Once he returned home, he was praying to God in tears every day, asking him to give him a wife. By Friday night, the Lord captured his heart and showed Sam that he wanted him to love and follow Christ and to be patient for a wife, and that right now, God wanted Sam to focus on his relationship with God. Sam said, it was like chains had fallen off, and now I am free. We both were in tears as he was telling me this story. He is bursting with joy to tell people, but also emotional about it and is ashamed to cry in front of others. Just a few months ago, we received a text of Sam's baptism. 
This is the work of welcoming people who come to our country. And despite the pandemic, they're, coming, they're still coming in unprecedented numbers. Open your lives to them. Open your heart. It doesn't, doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have the right words. They just want to know that you love them, you care. And you not only will be a, bless, be a blessing to them, you will be blessed. Friends, God is at work all over the world. All over the world right now. That's his passion and his plan. He's accomplishing it. He's accomplishing it because it's what he said he was going to do. His glory is glowing, going global. That is the main event. It will be accomplished. And so the question that we're going to come back to again, just as we're closing, what's your role? What's your role in that work? If you're a Christian, if you follow Christ, and you've heard, you've heard about God's heart for the nations, you've heard about the state of the nations of the world, and now you must consider your role in reaching the nations with this glorious good news. Remember those five roles. Support, send, go, pray, welcome. Listen, if you have not trusted in Jesus as your Savior, this is an invitation today. An invitation to know this Savior who is for you, who is for the whole world. He came for you. He died for you. He's alive for you. And he invites you to be part of his global work. I'm just going to close with this. In the late 1800s, C.T. Studd was one of the greatest cricket players in the world. Now, cricket might not be all that impressive to you, but Studd, which, that's an awesome name, by the way. (laughs) Studd was like the LeBron James of his day. He passed on his career as as a cricket player to make the gospel known among people and in places where Christ isn't known. Here's his quote that I'm going to leave you with. He said this, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray.